You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word, it would be great. We stand to honor the reading of God's Word because we believe that it is the Word of God. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that every word in this book is inspired by God, by His Holy Spirit. And and so that's why we stand. I really, I say this every week because I just feel like I need to say it every week. I do not believe I have anything good to offer you outside this book. That's why you stand. And when I'm preaching, that's why you sit. (laughs) And so this is the word of the Lord. We're turning our attention to Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You may be seated. So this is the final paragraph in the Sermon on the Mount. Hard to believe. I started this sermon series in May. Those of you visiting may be asking yourself, he preaches that long in in like three chapters in the Bible? Like, what? (laughs) I just felt impressed upon my heart that, that we needed this. Not just Meadowbrook, we need this. The the Sermon on the Mount draws us to the center of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. The Gospel leads us there. The Sermon on the Mount, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And I've said multiple times through the sermon series, Jesus wasn't winking and nodding when he delivered this sermon. Like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Right? That's, that's not what he was doing. He expects us to apply this to our lives. And in light of what he says in this final paragraph in his sermon, he, he not only expects us to listen to his words and take them seriously, but to do them. But to do them, you know, I want you to just think about this. The, the way this sermon concludes, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the way it concludes is a series of four comparisons. You know, the, the, the comparison of the narrow gate versus the wide gate is really about two types of people and how they listen and obey the words of Jesus. The comparison of the good tree versus the disease tree is really about recognizing who is teaching from God's word and what you do with God's word. The comparison of the false Christian versus the true Christian, which was last week's sermon, uh, is, is really a comparison between the person who says Jesus is Lord and actually knows Jesus to be Lord. That Gnosko word I talked about last week. And now we come to verses 24 through verses 27, and it's a comparison of two individuals who did something very different with the Word of God, with with Jesus' sermon. And just 
there was much more of this in my manuscript, but I was thinking about this, and I don't want, I, I don't want to, to, to uh, spend too much time on this, but it is significant to me, as I was working on my sermon this week, it's significant to me that there is a series of four here. And don't let that go unnoticed. The number four in the Bible is significant. It's, it's, it's symbolic of completion. So on the fourth day, God created the cosmos. Uh, the, 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 the Bible refers to the earth having four corners. It's not saying it's flat. It's just complete. There are four creatures in heaven that circle around the throne. There are four horsemen of the apocalypse in the book of Revelation. I can go on and on and on. It's significant to me that Jesus concludes his sermon with a series of four, as if, as if to say, this is complete. And he says, I want you to, I want you to hear me, and I want you to, to apply what you've just heard, and he gives us four comparisons. And we're looking at the, the final comparison you know, this morning. Here's another thing I want you to consider. I used to read verses 24 through verse 27, uh, just thinking, if, while devotionally reading these verses, just thinking, okay, so if, if you build your life on the, on the teachings of Jesus, when the storms of life come, like disease and other things come, uh, failed marriage, you're going to be okay because you're standing on the teachings of Jesus. And I think that's, an, that's a legitimate application, but that's not the primary application of this. Here, here's, here's the interesting thing about this. Every comparison for the individual who hears the word of the Lord, of Jesus, and does not do his words, their end is cataclysmic. Their end is destruction. Every single one. So why would it be different in verses 24 through 27? The one who, who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish person who built his house on the sand and when the judgment of God came, that, 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 that's the description here of the storm, when the judgment of God came, they thought they were safe and what they realized is that they were not safe. And great was their fall. That's sobering. That's sobering to me. And so what I want to do is just reflect on what the builders have in common and then towards the end of the message, the sermon, reflect on what they didn't have in common. But first, what they had in common. We need to consider that. This is significant. It is so easy to just read through these verses and not think deeply about them, not think much of them, but there's, there's the things that they share in common, for me, is the scariest part of this passage. Like, both builders heard the same message. He's not talking about one person who heard his message and another person who didn't hear his message. These are two individuals who heard his message. They, they, they share that in common. This is why he, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Like he, these are people who heard his words. They were in church. 
They were doing Sunday school together or children's church or youth group or, or, or Sunday morning. They were under the same word, hearing the same word. They were opening their Bibles. They were reading them. This is what both of these individuals share in common. Daniel Durani said this. He said, when we listen to the Sermon on the Mount, we do not simply hear Jesus' words, we hear Jesus. Jesus' words perfectly express his character, his mind, his will. He never deceives, never changes his mind, never misspeaks. He never has to say, do as I say, not as I do. The world has all too many obese gym teachers, <laughs> divorced marriage counselors, debt-ridden financial planners. Not so with Jesus. He does what he says. He is what he says. Every word perfectly, perfectly reflects his character and his actions. I've said that all through the sermon series. Jesus carefully chose his words. He wasn't misspeaking here. He wasn't just throwing words together like I sometimes do when I deviate from my, from my notes. Then I have to come back the next Sunday and say, I'm sorry for saying something stupid. Like, like Jesus doesn't do that. He didn't do that. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine. Like, these individuals, they heard Jesus' words. Which means they were within the same community of, of this people who were un, sitting under his words. Now, I don't, this is not just for those who heard his sermon that day when he first preached it on the mount. This is applicable through the ages. I, I, that was last week's sermon, right? Like Jesus said, many, not few, many who say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many works, in, mighty works, in your name? And Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. That was last week's sermon. It was like one of the most downloaded or watched sermons uh, on, our, on our podcast. I, I, this is something we need to hear. And so these builders share that in common. They sat under the word of the Lord. Both builders build a house. That's the other thing they share in common. What's interesting about this is don't let, don't, don't let this escape your notice. Jesus makes no distinction between the two houses that were built. They're identical, at least in terms of what is seen on the outside. They built a house. There's no distinction between the two houses except for the foundation that they were built on, and you can't see the foundation. So the thing that made them distinct was the thing that you could not see on the surface. But everything else looked the same. There were windows, there were doors, maybe it was a two-story house, maybe it had a chimney. They shared those things in common. There were resources that were put into the house. There was time that was spent building the house. Both, all these things these builders shared in common. And I think the homes 
or these houses that, that were being built as a metaphor of these individual persons, their religious lives. They attended the same church. They sang the same songs every Sunday. They attend the same church gatherings. They participate in the same life group. They both love the men's breakfasts that their church puts on. From the outside, there doesn't seem to be any visible distinction. So that's the second thing that these individuals have in common. The third thing that they have in common is that both builders believe that they were safe. They believe that their houses, their homes, would withstand any type of thing that would come. In the context of this passage, it's the judgment of God. Both of them were convinced that they were safe from the judgment of God. Both of them were convinced that, uh, that when the judgment of God would come, their, their houses would withstand that judgment. They would be safe from that judgment. You know, the same material went into framing the house. The same furniture, the fixtures were identical. The art probably dec that decorated their distinctive homes or their respective homes was probably somewhat similar. They had stuff hanging on the walls. They had furniture. It's also worth noting that because Jesus only made one distinction between the two houses, that the houses were virtually identical in appearance. Like I, like I already mentioned, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He was a pastor in the 40s and 50s. He said this, we deduce that from the, fact, from the fact that our Lord makes it clear that there was no difference between these two houses except in the foundation, looked at externally and on the surface there was no difference. The two houses were apparently identical apart from just this one difference beneath the surface. So we are entitled to deduce that these two men liked the same kind, liked the same kind of house. Not only did each want a house, they wanted the same kind of house. Their ideas on the subject were absolutely identical. They had much in common. Very similar to the person who knows Jesus as Lord and the one who says Jesus is Lord. There's not a whole lot to, in terms of difference in, in, in what you see in their lives on the surface. And for me... And I'm not, this is not my whole sermon. <laughs> but for me, this is the scariest part about this passage. I mean, it's, it's possible to go through your entire life doing the same things other Christians are doing and not be safe. So how are they different? That's the, that's the, that's the rest of my sermon. How are, how are these individuals different? You know, although they look alike, there's something very different about the two of them. What is different is that although the houses looked alike, one was much easier to build because there was no foundation. The other one took some time, took some energy. So there are two main distinctions between these two, these two builders that I, the, that I gleaned from this passage, and that is the first is that each of the builders listened to Jesus' words very differently. Although each builder was able to hear Jesus' words, only one acted upon what he heard. Like, don't miss the significance of that. 
there was a builder, and he's labeled as a, he's the wise one in the group, and he not only listened to Jesus' words, but he applied them to his life, his life. That's the foundation. The foundation isn't just Jesus. It isn't just Jesus that is the rock. It's his, it's his word that is the rock. And not just Jesus' word, but all of the word of God from, from, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. Like Jesus said, do not think that I have come to what? Abolish the law, right? I've come to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill it. Like, let's just, I just have a whole list of questions I wanna, want you to reflect upon, just think about like, let's just think about that. I'm just kind of taking you through some of the things that we, that we learned and gleaned from the Sermon on the Mount, but think about it. This God that you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that, you, are, that you call Father, is the God who's also known as Elohim. He created all that existed from nothing. He is Yahweh. He is the God who keeps his promises. He is Adonai. He does not take naps. He does not get frustrated. Like he, he, is, he is the sovereign one. Like think about the significance of that. If you say that you believe that, then how is that working its way, out, its way in and through your life? Like you, he created you. Everything about you, he created, he, he created you. In his sovereign will, the circumstances of your life are what they are. How is that shaping your life? How are you responding to that? Do you take Jesus' words seriously? Or serious enough to apply them to your life? Like You read the psalm, Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. If he is the creator, there is purpose and design to your life, to your existence. You were designed to know and to worship him. Here, here's both God's truth and your truth. I keep, I keep hearing this is my truth, this is my truth, my truth. Now, here's the truth. Who is like you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who's like you? Nobody. Nobody's like you. And yet, if, if you are a Christian, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus as Lord, like in the experiential way, if you know him, not just with your head, oida, that's last Sunday, but gnosko, it's your whole being, then, then he knows you. He, you can call this God your father. You can bring your stuff to him. All the stuff in your life you can bring to him and he will hear you and he will not turn you away like how is the truth of his word shaping your life if you're a christian jesus said that you're salt of the earth and that you are the light of the world what do you taste like to the world how is your light shining in a dark world is there any real distinction between what is seen and experienced by those around you versus what is in the world? Like Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds 
that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I spent a whole sermon on that verse. Jesus was saying, look, you need a righteousness outside of yourself. You can't do this. You can't generate this righteousness of your own strength. You need a righteousness outside of yourself. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is a perfect righteousness. And then he went on to say, um, the blessed are the, let's read this together, ready? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How are you satisfied? Well, hungering, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Whose righteousness? Mine? Your own? No, Jesus's. And so he promises if you thirst and hunger after him, you will be satisfied. Who or what are you hungering and thirsting after? Whose glory are you really after? From what source are you seeking your righteousness? These are all questions Jesus intends for us to reflect upon and to ask ourselves. If you're really hungering and thirsting for righteousness, a righteousness that only Jesus can provide, then what does that look like in your daily life? I mean, think about some of the stuff that Jesus said in his sermon. Like if you're really hungering and thirsting for his righteousness... How are you responding to the thing that Jesus said about when your brother sins against you, leave the altar and go and be reconciled to that brother? Are you thirsting after the one who said that we must take radical steps in addressing our own sin? I guess war against our own flesh. What are you doing to address that? Consider what Jesus said about marriage and divorce. What are you, what are you doing if this is you? And I, and I would encourage you to reach out to me. I would love to sit down with you. But if your marriage is in trouble, what are you doing to try to save your marriage? Like if you take Jesus' words seriously and what he said about divorce, that's the second most downloaded sermon in this series. Like if, if you take that seriously, what are you doing to try to salvage your marriage? If you really claim that Jesus is Lord, or do you just say he's Lord? Like, do you, Christian, want to know Jesus in such a way that you long for the same thing the Apostle Paul longed for? Ready? Let's read this together. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, Jesus is like, that I may gnosko him, that I may know him in the, in the fullest way possible. I want to know him. Well, how, Paul, do you want to know him? I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know that power. And, and that I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. Like, think about the significance of that. Like, when it comes to oaths and promises, are you becoming the kind of person, because you want to know him in this way, are you becoming the kind of person that applies his words where Jesus said, let your yes be simply yes and your no, no? Like the one who, who was, <laughs> this is from Isaiah 53 if you're wondering, the one who was despised and rejected by men, who borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, he who while facing a cross that we deserved and that he died upon, 
of whom the scriptures testify, was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Is he the one that you really want to know in such a way that you want to share in his sufferings? I mean, what are you going to do about what he said concerning how you should respond to the one who slaps you in the face? I said at the very beginning of the sermon series, like some people are a little aggravated over it. (laughs) To follow Jesus is not to become a Republican. And to follow Jesus is not to become a Democrat. To follow Jesus is to apply his kingdom ethics to your life. Period. The hope of the nations is not the next is not a Republican president and it's not our current president, obviously. <laughs> um, it is sorry for you Democrats that might be in there. Um, I'm just as no no, don't applaud. That's not that's this is something I'm gonna have to say sorry for next week, because it's not in my notes. Like I'm just as appalled about the Republican Party, by the way. So, just now, I made some other people angry. But, like, like, the hope of the nations is Jesus Christ. And the light that he has brought to the nations is the church. It's the bride of Christ. How are we shining for him? Do you really want to know Jesus in such a way that you are becoming like him in his death? Like how seriously do you take what he said about your enemies? Like when he said, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When's the last time you prayed for your enemies? And Jesus modeled how we're to pray, right? Remember, we spent like six weeks just unpacking the Lord's Prayer. He modeled for us how to pray. That, um, that, the, that our prayer, that the plea of our prayer, the echo of our prayer should be that God's name be hallowed in all things and through all things. How is his name being hallowed in your pursuits, in your desires, in your choices? Are you, when you pray, are you really interested in his kingdom not only coming to earth, but to expand in your heart and that his will be done in your life and through your life. Are you really serious about that? Like these are all questions Jesus wants us to reflect upon. And I'm reflecting upon these myself, by the way. This is not me pointing my finger at you, Meadowbrook. Uh, Somebody said, just remember, when you have your finger pointed at somebody else, you've got three pointing back at you, right? And, And so like I'm reflecting upon this as well. Like, how is his name being hallowed in our lives and hallowed through our lives? That's the renown of his name, the spread of the renown of his name. His, it is about his glory, not my glory. It's about the renown of his name, not my name. After I die, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, nobody will remember who Keith Miller is. And the same is true for every single person in this room. But, but what matters is whether or not we are known by this God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just 
head knowledge, but this kind of knowledge. Do we really take Jesus' words seriously, and what are we willing to do in response to his words? Like, do you believe what he said about money to be legit? Like, don't chase, chase after the treasures of this earth. Do you really take his word seriously? What does that look like for your bank account? What does that look like when you, when you see where your money's going to? I'm talking to my own heart here, too. Like, what do you do with his statement where he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Jesus said that our Heavenly Father will not turn us away when we go to him. Do you believe his words to be true? Like, are you hungering and thirsting for his righteousness? A righteousness that only Jesus can provide. Is he your everything? I mean, this is so different than, than a lot of the stuff that you see in the bookstores and some of the stuff that you're hearing in, in America's pulpits today. Like, Jesus... Jesus is not to be trivialized. I said this, like, he is not the boarding pass that you get between your fingers so you can get on the plane to heaven, and then when you get there, you forget about him and throw the boarding pass in the trash. He demands to be treasured. He's the one who said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me and let me just be clear this is what it means for those of you considering to follow me that you hate mother and father and everything else that you would treasure in this world that you hate all of that and what he meant by that is that you, all of that is a distant second to following him I, I, I reminded Thomas I didn't have to remind him but I, he's 27 I'm 48 so been around a while. Some of you who are older than me are like, no, you haven't. <laughs> um, yeah. I said, brother, just remember, it doesn't matter what people think about you. It just matters what the king thinks. And that's one of the things that has been, guided, has been one of my guiding things, my, the things that, I, that I've hoped that guided me throughout my pastoral ministry. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a heart, and um, I feel things deeply. And you talk to my wife, there are things that keep me up at night. I've cried for you. I've cried over things that have been said to me. I've lost sleep. But at the end of the day, what matters is what the king thinks. Every single one of us will stand before him and give an account for the way we lived our lives, this one builder considered that very seriously, and the foundation that he built his house upon was the foundation of Jesus' words and the word of God. You know, he, throughout his sermon, Jesus has showed us that our dependency upon him is what is needed if we're going to hear his words and do them. It, it's, it, we make it so complicated. It's really not that complicated. It's just following Jesus. Like, if you believe Jesus is everything that he claimed to be, then you will want to apply his words to your life. He is the righteousness that will satisfy our souls. The, the second thing, and this is very brief, and that is each of the builders responded to Jesus' words very differently. I mean, that's the obvious thing, right? 
What sets the builder apart, one builder apart from the other is simply this. One of the builders took Jesus' word seriously enough to obey him, and the other didn't, didn't. I was thinking about that. What did this builder think? The foolish builder, the one who built his house on the sand. What, what was he thinking? Here's some thoughts that kind of ran through my mind. Maybe the reason why he didn't build his house on the foundation or the rock of Jesus' words is because he thought to build on the rock was too narrow. To build on the rock was not fair. To build on the rock was asking him to give up too much of his time and energy. To build on the rock would cause too much friction within the family. To build on the rock would mean that he would have to say no to certain temptations or, or maybe even to certain dreams that he previously had. To build on the rock would be to go against the advice and recommendation of those closest to him. To build on the rock would be too costly, for he would lose too much in this world, and he didn't think it was worth it. So he built his house on the sand. And Jesus said of this person, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, and the words will be on the screen, he said, yet, through, though he was, it was supposed to be though, though he was industrious, he was foolish. The crash was terrible. The sound was heard afar. The overflow uh, was, was final and irretrievable. Many heard the fall, and many more saw the ruins as they remained a perpetual memorial of the results of that folly, which is satisfied with hearing and neglects doing. The storm is the judgment of God. It's, it's the place that the wide road leads. It's the place that the disease tree will be burned. It is the place that, one, that, 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 Jesus, that the one that Jesus does not know, the one who just called Jesus Lord, will hear these horrible words, I never knew you from Jesus himself. It's the place where the, builder, the foolish builder will be destroyed. It's the place we read about in Revelation chapter 20, which says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what had been done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What is it that will keep you on the narrow road and safe? What will prevent the fruitful tree from the axe? Why will the one who knows Jesus as Lord not be turned away on that day? What will keep the wise builder safe on the day of God's judgment? Listen, brothers and sisters, this is the good news. This is the gospel. What will keep them safe is the cross of Christ. What Jesus accomplished on that cross. You hear me say it almost every Sunday. Jesus died to death. That, well, he lived the life that we could never live. He died a death that we deserve. On the third day, he rose from the grave. 
Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that those who trust in him will never be turned away by a holy God. The acts of God's wrath came upon him while he hung on that cross so that it would never come upon you. Jesus is the foundation. His words are our rock. His life is our house. Therefore, if you know him as Lord, listen, you are safe. I, I, the, the song that we sang, just, just, and the worship team can come up. I'm, I'm concluding now. Uh, the song that we sang, uh, I mean, just think about the words that, that, that you sing when we sing these songs. They're, but just listen to these words, and the words are on the screen. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt, and he called me his friend when death was arrested and my life began. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. So, I leave you with these questions. Do I believe Jesus' words to be true? Do I take Jesus seriously? Do I know him? Do I trust him enough to obey him? Who am I? Who am I? Father, thank you so much for your words. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. God, I ask that you would just take these words and just help us to work through them and to rest confidently on the reality that Jesus Christ lived a life that we could never live, a perfect life. He died a death under your wrath on a cross that we deserved. And on the third day, he rose from the grave, validating everything he claimed. Everything in the Gospels, everything in the Bible, everything in this sermon that was preached on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached in human history. And so I thank you for that. And if there's anyone in here who is not resting in the safety of the cross of your son, Jesus Christ, God, before they leave here, they would, they would, they would just talk to you about it and place their faith and trust in you before they leave. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.